You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Loving Heavenly Father, we repent of following the foolishness and sin of this world. Give us hearts that love you and delight in your wisdom, hearts that glory in your Son. Amen. It was a number of years ago that I was travelling through Tasmania with a very good friend of mine. Over eight days, we drove all around the island and we saw everything you could ever see. MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, Wineglass Bay, the Salamanca Markets, but of course, the greatest beauty of Tasmania, Cradle Mountain. And I have to say, hiking up Cradle Mountain was one of the most breathtaking experiences of my life. I mean, the the air was fresh, nature beautiful, and the view, my gosh, the view was stunning. But... But, hiking down the mountain was another story altogether. As my friend and I were hiking down the mountain, we had to follow these small yellow arrows directing us down the safest path. But somewhere along the track, I realized I could not find the arrow. Somewhere along the track, I had wandered down a slow and gentle slope. And now, here I was. At six o'clock, lost on Cradle Mountain. You see, and while I've been wandering down the wrong path for a good probably 40 minutes, it actually all started with one wrong direction, one missed arrow, one small step. Beware the slow and gentle slope. You see, friends, we live in a world where all the yellow arrows are pointing in all the wrong ways. Away from wisdom, away from God, down to sin and down to death. And if we lose our way, if we follow the arrows of this world, we will not merely be lost on a mountain, we will be dead in a ditch. And it all starts with one small step. Beware the slow and gentle slope. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 7. Keep your Bibles open because here we find a story. A story of a young man. Now, this young man, in one sense, he represents us all. And this is the story of how he lost his way. How he followed the arrows of this world and how he ends up dead in a ditch. This is the story of how he is tempted and killed by sin. And my gosh, this is a story so vivid and surreal that it could easily be cast as a short film. So, this is what we're going to do. We're going to retell this story. But as we do, we're going to pause at key scenes along the way to hear the director's commentary. We're going to hit the pause button along the way, as it were, to notice its relevance for us. Are you ready? Here we go. Keep your Bibles open at Proverbs chapter 7 and starting at verse 6. The scene is set. 
as we hear the voice of the narrator. At the window of my house, I looked through my lattice. I saw among the inexperienced, I noticed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Now, Paul's there already. This is a young man literally lacking heart. That word for sense is the same word for heart. And remember from last week, the heart of wisdom is a transformed heart. Well, that's exactly what this young man does not have. His heart is not changed by God's desires. His heart does not love what God loves. His heart does not hate what God hates. Even before anything in this story really happens, we already know that the heart of his problem is a problem with his heart. So we're all waiting now. What's going to happen? Verse 8. Crossing the street near her corner, he strolled down the road to her house. At twilight, in the evening, in the dark of night. Oh, we can feel it already, can't we? This young man is skirting too close to the wrong end of town. His heart, it makes him foolish. What does he say? I'll be okay. I know where the line is. Instead of staying as far away from sin as he can, no, what does he do? He's testing the limits. He's seeing how close he can get to that line. But I wonder if you've noticed... My gosh, it's tragic. He's already made the first mistake, hasn't he? It's not strolling down the road to the house of sin. No, it's even being within a mile of it. It all starts with one small step. And we can already feel the impending danger, right? Where part of us is just screaming out like we do at that movie, no, don't do it. The young man is in the worst possible place at the worst possible time. And then it happens, surely, as night follows day, verse 10. A woman came to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, having a hidden agenda. She is loud and defiant. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the streets, now in the squares, she lurks at every corner. She grabs him and kisses him. She brazenly says to him, I've made fellowship offerings. Today I fulfilled my vows. And surely the best verse in all of this, right? So I came out to meet you, to search for you, and I've found you. That's terrifying, isn't it? This woman has been waiting for him. And before he even knew it, he was already in her sights. Sin has been crouching at his door. This woman is fully prepared. Her trap has been laid, and we can already see it, can't we? This young man, this young fool, being seduced and sucked in by her smooth words. It's as if we're watching a lamb being led to the slaughter. And then, her offer. I spread coverings on my bed. Richly colored linen from Egypt. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of lovemaking until morning. Let's feast on each other's love. Just think about it for a moment. What if you were this young man being seduced by this woman? Or what if you were a young woman being seduced by a man like this? 
Just imagine, the man with whom you have fallen deeply in love sweeps you off your feet. He takes your right hand. He leads you home. And he whispers, it'll be all right. Friends, here's a tip. When sin and Satan tell you, it'll be all right, don't you believe a word of it. Sin is so tempting, isn't it? Because it plays off our desires. Let's just call a spade a spade. We sin because we love it. And here's the rub. Verse 19. My husband isn't home. He went on a long journey. My gosh, this is adultery. This is sinful. The woman in this story, she personifies sexual sin. And this story is a warning against its slow and gentle slope. I want you to notice, right, just how late in the story that this woman discloses her true intentions. But by now, it's almost too late, isn't it? That the young man has already taken the bait. Hook, line, and sinker. Verse 21 she seduces him with her persistent pleading. She lures him with her flattering talk. He follows her impulsively like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer bounding toward a trap until an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. He doesn't know it will cost him his The path away from wisdom, friends, is a slow and gentle slope. And it all starts with one small step. It will kill you, and you won't even know it. Sin has consequences. And sexual sin in particular has a high price. It will rob you of everything, and if you're not careful, it will rob you of your life. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 to 28 say this. Can a man embrace fire and his clothes not be burnt? Can a man walk on burning coals without scorching his feet? Rhetorical question, answer is no. So it is with the one who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. You know, we read this story, and it's a great story, isn't it? It's gripping. It it almost preaches itself. Why am I even here, you might wonder. I mean, we read this and we think, look, none of us will ever be that guy. That, not me. None, None of us will ever be as stupid as him. But be very careful. For the moment that you think yourself invincible, you are then at your most vulnerable. But that's exactly why God is gracious. He's gracious to give us two states in life to express our sexual intimacy. Faithfulness in marriage and chastity or purity in singleness. Faithfulness in marriage and chastity or purity in singleness. See, marriage is the lifelong union between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others for life. And if you're here and you're married or you're preparing for marriage, I want you to know that God is calling you to an exclusive and lifelong faithfulness in your marriage. And if you're not married, and that includes people who are dating, so if you're single, whether by choice or circumstance, I want you to know that God is calling you to abstain from sexual activity 
so that you might give God your undivided devotion. God is calling you to chastity or purity and singleness and a wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Let me be very clear. Any sexual activity, be it sex or pornography or anything in between outside these two contexts is sin. Now, it's easy to think, isn't it, that God has created all these rules to oppress us? But friends, I actually want you to see that He's given us marriage and these gifts to liberate us. I mean, God, He's not anti-sex. In fact, He created sex, and He created it to be good, enjoyable, fun, and fruitful. Song of Songs, that book in your Bible that you either don't know is there or too afraid to turn there, I want you to look at it right now. It describes sexual intimacy like a force of nature. A force of nature. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is unrelenting as shale or the grave. Love's flames are fiery flames, an almighty flame. A huge torrent cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? If you're getting married, what a passage to preach on. He who has ears, let him hear. Can you hear how overwhelmingly powerful God created sexual intimacy to be? And, and a force that powerful needs to be handled with care. That's why three times in Song of Songs, it warns, do not stir up or awaken love until the appointed time. Hint, the appointed time is marriage. If you try to take it on beforehand, let me be very clear, you will lose. Don't try. God has given us this beautiful gift of sexual intimacy. It's a force of nature. And when it's enjoyed within a committed and lifelong marriage, it is one of the most amazing gifts you could ever imagine. But it's for that very same reason that if we try to enjoy it outside marriage, it will kill us. Just like this young man, it will cost us our lives. Verse 26, For she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. I remember a number of years ago, I was talking to one young man in our church who was really struggling and addicted to pornography. But it wasn't always the case. In fact, as basic as it sounds, it really just started off with three ordinary things. I wonder if you can guess what they are. Boredom, loneliness, and tiredness. Boredom, loneliness, and tiredness. So one night, my friend is on his laptop, in his room, alone at 2 a.m. And suddenly we start to think of the young fool, don't we? He checks this fan folder of his Gmail account and it's filled with invitations. In his loneliness, in his tiredness, and yes, as mundane and boring as it sounds, in his boredom, my friend opens the email. And he doesn't know it will cost him his life. We know from chapter 2 what this young man's real problem is, don't we? I noticed among the youth a young man lacking sense, lacking a transformed heart. You see, friends, it all starts with one small step. It all starts with a thought. But so a thought 
reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. See, friends, your particular temptation might not be pornography, but it might just as easily be same-sex attraction, a dating relationship or marriage that you know doesn't please God, or simply believing that if only I had a relationship, then and only then would my life be better. And all of us read this and we think, that's not me. But I think it's written to show us that, no, it is us. We say, I might feel the temptation, but I'd never act on it. I'd never do that with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'd never hit that button. But God is warning us, be very, very careful. For the highway to hell is a slow and gentle slope. In Matthew 7, Jesus warns us, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate? And difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. You see, friends, it's better to limp to heaven than to sprint to hell. For the very moment you think yourself invincible, you are then at your most vulnerable. See, we read Proverbs 5 to 7, and we see it as one big warning sign against sexual sin. But the forbidden woman in this chapter, she personifies not just sexual sin, but sin altogether. So, so when we read the story of chapter 7, we shouldn't think that this is only about sexual sin, and therefore it's not my problem. No, this is all this is, all, this is about all sin that leads away from wisdom. All sin that leads away from God. The forbidden woman here, she represents temptations to idolizing our careers. Temptations to wealth, power, and success. Temptations to a comfortable and secure life. Temptations to alcoholism. This woman represents a life without God. A life without Jesus as our King. A life where the only person we live for is ourselves. Friends, be very careful. If you follow this forbidden woman, if you indulge in sin, if you live for yourself, if you live without Jesus in the end, just like this young man, it will cost you your life. We're just like a young fool, aren't we? A young fool petting a small cub lion. If you've seen a small cub lion or seen the Lion King, they're cute as anything. Who wouldn't want to own one of them? So every day you have it at home, you feed it bit by bit, every day thinking, it's okay, Simba loves me. He's tamed under my control. Until one day, the cub whom we're fed bit by bit each day soon becomes a lion and tears us apart limb from limb. Friends, can I be even more direct with you? <laughs> Whatever this world promises you, the job, the success, the guy, the girl, it's not worth it. It is so not well, you might now ask, well, then, Adam, help me. Like, how do I stay safe? How do then I avoid that path to sin and death? Well, firstly, 
Firstly, steer clear. Steer clear. Look at Solomon's advice in chapter 5, verse 8. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near to the door of her house. Don't go near sin. Don't flirt with sin. Steer clear of sin with a 10-foot-long barge pole. Don't even give it the slightest opportunity to tempt you away. Instead, verse 7, don't turn away from the words of my mouth. Stay away from her house and stay close to my words. Keep your head in the game. Remind yourself of God's words. Fill your thoughts with the thoughts of God. Fill your heart with what? God loves. I wonder, do do we actually encourage each other in the way that Solomon is encouraging his son? Honestly. Do, Do we spur one another on to love, good deeds, and wisdom? I mean, look around. Like, I'm serious, look around. This is your family. And what you are looking at right now is either your greatest help or your greatest hindrance your greatest help or your greatest hindrance because we have a choice, right? We will either be to one another an example of wisdom or a stumbling block of foolishness. And let me just call a spade a spade. Our best friends can often be our worst influences. Our best friends can often be our worst influences. Right? How we foster each other's discontentment with our relationship or with our singleness or with the state of our friendships, how we suggest that each other's job is somehow the measure of our worth. No, so often our best friends can be our worst influences, can't they? But it may not be that way. I mean, what if? What if? Dream with me for a moment, right? If we're to encourage one another in godliness and wisdom, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to fear the Lord. You see, this young man, go go to chapter 5, verse 12. Look at what he eventually regrets. This is great because this is sort of the young man later in his life looking back going, oh, if only I knew, if only I did. And what did he do? How I hated discipline and how my heart despised correction. I didn't obey my teachers or listen closely to my instructors. And the chapter ends in verse 23 with these somber words. He will die because there is no discipline and be lost because of his great stupidity. Do you realize that we actually here are one another's instructors and we have to love each other enough to discipline each other in love? And we also have to love each other enough to receive that discipline Let's go through a shotgun of these Proverbs. Proverbs 13.20 says, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Well, friends, do you walk with the wise? Or are you a companion of fools? Maybe a better question. Are you a wise or a foolish influence on each other? Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a difficult time. So, are you that friend who will love at all times? That brother or sister who is born for the hardest of seasons? Or Proverbs 27, 6, which may very well be my favorite proverb, though you may hear me say a different proverb is my favorite proverb every week. 
The wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Let me ask this question. Are you so faithful a friend as to wound each other in love? Are you so faithful a friend as to wound each other in love? Or will you turn a blind eye to each other's sin because it's a bit inconvenient, it's a bit awkward. I'd rather not have that hard conversation. See, friends, we need to give each other permission to speak honest and loving words that cut deeply. We need to steer clear of sin. My gosh, we need to run from sin. We need to repent of sin. We need to confess sin. And if we're not already following Jesus, we need to say sorry for living without him and start living with him. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Secondly, drink deeply of wisdom. Just pause there, right? If we stop that sermon right there, you might just think, well, I guess Christianity is just a set of rules. Do, do, do. Don't, don't, don't. Try harder. You're not trying hard enough. But this step will show us that the gospel is far greater than that. Look at chapter 5, verses 15 to 19. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares? No, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. And then we get some very graphic advice from a father to his son. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving dear. A graceful, don't let her breast always satisfy you. And isn't this beautiful? Be lost in her love forever. Imagine your dad having that chat with you. You see, friends, the first line of defense, the first line of defense against sexual sin is what? A healthy marriage. And a healthy marriage involves enjoying intimacy within it. You see, we often think about marriage this way. Our marriage is the context within which I guess it's okay to have sex. But God wants to say, no, it's the context within which you should have sex. It's the context within which you should be serving each other in intimacy and in love. How do I guard against adultery? Here's an idea. Love your husband. Love your wife. Because if you love them, I mean, wouldn't you want to live for their pleasure? If you genuinely love your spouse, why in the world would you ever want to betray them? Because in your marriage, you have everything that you need. Blessing, pleasure, joy, and satisfaction. Your life will honor the one your heart loves. And it's exactly the same when it comes to living for God, isn't it? You see, living for God is not just a set of rules. Do, do, do. Don't, don't, don't. No, when we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul and with all our mind, my gosh, how could we not live for His glory? Why in the world would we ever want to betray Him? For in our relationship with Him, we have everything that we need. Blessing, forgiveness, Grace, mercy, love, and salvation. Friends, Jesus has saved us out of sin so that not just that we can get over the line and be saved and just sit there for the rest of life waiting for Jesus to return. No, Jesus has saved us out of sin so that we might enjoy an eternal life of love with God. 
Through his death in our place, Jesus has brought us into the everlasting love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My gosh, how could we not love him, right? The key to avoiding the path to sin and death isn't simply just to steer clear of it. No, it's to drink deeply of wisdom, to love the Lord, to enjoy him forever. It's beautiful. I mean, our love for the Lord Jesus Christ should be so powerful that it just grips and controls every part of our lives. Look at verse 20. In verse 20, this young man, it says he's literally intoxicated with the forbidden woman. And that's a, what a wonderful way to describe sexual sin, isn't it? Right? What an apt way. It's like intoxication. And just like him, we're easily intoxicated by sin. Sin will shape our thoughts, it will dictate our words, and it will control our actions. But, what does God say? He doesn't say just go cold turkey, though that might be a good idea. God wants us to be intoxicated with something else. Yes, you heard me right, God wants you to be intoxicated, but not with alcohol, and definitely not with sin. In verse 19, He wants us to be intoxicated with a love for wisdom. He wants wisdom to control our senses, wisdom to command our actions, wisdom to transform our hearts. You know, in the New Testament, in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul, he calls us to pay careful attention to how we live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Well, how do we do that? Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living but be filled by the Spirit. You see, in Proverbs, Solomon's saying, don't be seduced by foolishness, be intoxicated with wisdom. And now here in Ephesians, Paul is saying, don't get drunk on wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We, we need to accept the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts. We need to allow Him to live in us, control us and fill us. It's the Holy Spirit who changes our affections, who makes us love what God loves and hate what God hates, who makes us love God himself. I know many of us here struggle against sin. It's a daily battle, isn't it? And in our lowest moments, we might just think, I can't change. Just give up. We might think that our love for sin is just too strong. That the temptation of Satan is just too great. I'm convinced that we give in to sin because we give up on change. We give in to sin because we give up on change. But friends, I want you to know that the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. The Spirit is more powerful than Satan, stronger than sin, and with His help, you can change. So please, don't give up. Please, don't give in. Some of you here might not be Christians at all. And you might know of this Jesus in your head, but you don't love Him in your heart. And if that's you, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit can change your heart. He can transform it to love God and enjoy Him forever. And you might go, 
I've just been thinking about this Jesus thing for so long, but I just want to feel that love in my heart. I just, I don't know what to do. Well, here's an idea. Ask him. Pray to God that the Spirit will ignite in you a deep love for the Lord. You won't be disappointed. This world will promise you everything, but it will leave you with nothing. And however tempting this world may be, whatever this world may offer, I promise you, my gosh, don't take my word for it, take God's word for it. He promises you that the joys of knowing Jesus are infinitely better. A few years ago, I caught up with a friend who went to my previous church up in Canberra. And since we last saw each other, she had actually chosen to walk away from Jesus, away from the church, away from the gospel. So we had coffee and I asked her why. And this is what she said. Adam, I've grown up in church my whole life. And I just wanted to see what life was like on the other side. I just want to experience what I'm missing out on. And can I tell you, like, the number of emotions that I felt all at the same time were just kind of going to explode me from the inside out. I was frustrated. I was angry. But more than anything else, I was sad. It's tragic. Because it tells me that my friend never found full satisfaction in God. She never drank deeply of wisdom. She never delighted in God's word. She was never filled by the Spirit. She never truly loved Jesus or saw, her as, saw him as her supreme treasure. For if she did, she would have never walked away. We're so good, aren't we, at church sometimes, of wanting to communicate, Jesus is true, so trust him. Please keep talking about that. We're not so good at showing, Jesus is beautiful. Jesus is good. We need to show the world and we need to remind each other that Jesus is true, he is beautiful and he is good. We need to show the world that true joy is found in Jesus and we need each other. I need you to remind me that Jesus is worth. Jesus is worth it. Do you enjoy God? Do you delight in Him? Are you satisfied in Him and His love? You see, that young man, right, his first mistake was not where his feet trod. It was whom his heart loved. He didn't fear the Lord. He didn't love Jesus. Be careful. The path away from wisdom is a slow and gentle slope. But hear these words from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 to 6. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. And here it is. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her. And she will guide you. I don't know your situation. And maybe this day God is convicting you of sin. Maybe he's calling you to repent. Maybe he's calling you to come home. 
So why don't you just take a moment in the quietness of your heart to bring your sin before God confident that in Jesus he is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Take a moment to do just that. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we repent of following the foolishness and sin of this world. Give us hearts that love you, hearts that delight in your wisdom, hearts that glory in your Son. Amen.